JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer, joining you on another Baseball America podcast. Today we are talking Padres. We are talking about a farm system that has been one of the best in baseball for several years, is still one of the best in baseball, having graduated Fernando Tatis Jr., Chris Paddock, and others last year, but now is facing a, uh, a big test, really kind of the acid test of a rebuild, which is, okay, you've had a great farm system. That's great. You have a great farm system. That's great. Padres also won 70 games last year. And that's been kind of the, the story of the Padres in recent years. It's been quite a while since there's been a Padres team that has finished not just in the, at the top of the division. It's been quite a while since you've had a Padres team finish in the top half of the division. Uh, they were second in 2010. That was the last time that they topped 76 wins. And so, Kyle, as we go into 2020, as we go into a new decade for the Padres, the first question I want to ask you, since you did our Padres, you've done our Padres uh, prospect list for, for several years, okay, they've got a great farm system. Is this a team that is ready to contend, and how important is it that they do contend in 2020? Well, one of the things we studied when we did the big rebuilds feature a few years ago was it basically showed that when a team strips it down to the bare bones and does a full-on rebuild, it takes four years from the time they strip away the final pieces before they can realistically hope to contend again. The Padres stripped away the final pieces in 2016, so 2020 is really the first realistic season where they have an opportunity to contend for the postseason. Um, whether they do or not, it's kind of up for debate. They've made some additions this offseason, going and getting Tommy Pham in a trade, going and getting Trent Grisham in a trade. They upgraded the rotation by uh, swapping out Eric Lauer for Kyle Davies. But are all those moves enough to take them from 70 wins to 90 wins, 93 wins, 95 wins? The answer is probably no. The biggest thing that's going to have to happen for this Padres team to contend, they're going to have to have Eric Hosmer perform like he did in Kansas City. They're going to have to have Manny Machado rebound. They're going to have to get something from Will Myers and not have him be one of the least productive corner outfielders in baseball. If all those things don't happen, there's still not really a path for this team to win in a very competitive division. The Dodgers are the beasts of the National League. The Diamondbacks had a great year last year and have just beefed up a little more. The Rockies had back-to-back postseason appearances. They fell backward last year, but it wasn't that long ago they were a perennial playoff contender. It's going to be an uphill climb, and I think the Padres need a lot of things to break their way to have that 20-win, 25-win improvement. It is going to be – this is going to be a fascinating team to watch this year because it it is a lot to ask a team to go from a team that basically has sat right around 70 wins for really the last half decade to to make that leap. But we do see teams make that leap. And – I'm, I'm probably a little more bullish on their possibilities of doing that. I do think that this is a team that I can construct a plausible path. Maybe they don't catch the Dodgers because, I mean, the, the Dodgers are the beast of the uh, NL West, and that probably will main, re, remain true for, for years to come. But I do think that this is a team that has a very clear path to playoff contention. If they make the wild card game, that would – considering their history of really the, the last decade, but really the, the 21st century, 
that would be a, uh, a massive success for this team. I, do you think, I mean, what do you think the chances are for them? What do you think, you laid out some of the things that have to happen, but what do you think the chances are for them to actually be a playoff contender in, in, in 2020? It's hard to put it, you know, higher than really 10 to 20% just because so many things have to happen. You know, one of the things that we've talked about a lot with AJ Preller and his staff is they have always had an incredible ability to identify talent at the amateur levels, at the lower levels, again, going and getting Chris Paddock when he was in low A, getting Fernando Tatis before he had played a professional game. But the evaluations of guys at the AA level and above there have been a lot more misses than hits, really starting with the Trey Turner trade uh, that first offseason. So one of the hallmarks of these Padres teams, fair or not, and part of the reason why they've been stuck in fourth or fifth place every year that this regime has been in place, it's been a rosters mostly full of ill-fitting, underperforming you know, guys. A lot of the times they have you know, five outfielders but no shortstop or not enough starting pitching depth or well below average players asked to play roles they shouldn't really be playing. Austin Hedges and Manny Margot have not gotten any better. They're actually, they've gotten worse. So one of the biggest keys to the Padres is going to be putting guys in the best positions to succeed. They have not frequently done that by putting Will Myers in center field and third base. That's not helping him. That's not helping the team. Uh, we saw, you know, one example last year when Fernando Tatis Jr. got hurt. What they should have done and what would have been the smoothest transition for everyone involved was slide Manny Machado to short let Luis Arias play second, let Ty France play third, let the young guys play their natural positions, get acclimated, get comfortable. What did they do? They asked Urias to play short. Now, he played some at AAA, but it's not his natural position. They threw France out there at second base with very little experience in AAA, and the infield defense predictably cratered. They need to put players in the best positions to succeed, both literally and figuratively, and that's something they've struggled to do a lot under this regime. Josh Naylor in the outfield is another example of a guy who's playing a position he probably shouldn't be playing. And the team defense suffers, the pitchers get frustrated, and their performance suffers with bad defense behind them. Then these guys carry it to the plate with them, their struggles. And it's just a, it's a spiral that we've seen happen a lot with these Padres teams. And, and that goes back to you can build all the talent in the world if you're not putting it in the best position to succeed at the major league level, you're not going to win many games. See, again, I, I would say I am actually much more uh, positive about this team, I think, than, than you are then. Because I, I do think the additions of FAM, I think that this team has this year the depth to potentially uh, withstand, all, you know, uh, injuries are going to happen. I think that this team has the depth to kind of survive those. Adding Trent Grisham also, again, they don't, they're not bringing in Trent Grisham to be uh, a vital player for them, but it does provide them depth. If you look at around the infield, adding Jake Cronenworth, who again, maybe, maybe they bought high on Jake Cronenworth, but he is a guy who, you're, that's your IL batting champion last year. And he's really like their third option in the middle infield probably. And, and that's the kind of depth that they're going to have this year. You look on the pitching staff, they've got young pitchers, but they're not really coming into the season projecting. They don't necessarily have to project that the Baez's and the Morhones and the Quantrills are going to throw 150 innings for them they are kind of you know they're part of a, a very you know a, a mix where if the you know the the guys at the front of the rotation do what they hope and they expect them to do they're able to plug these guys in more as back of the rotation more as guys who may get 10 15 starts over the course of the season I look at this team and and I do think I 
if Machado plays the way that Manny Machado is capable of playing, if Fernando Tatis Jr. plays the way that, that he's capable, that's arguably the best, you know, or at least at the minimum, it is one of the best left sides of the infield in baseball. And that makes up for a lot of, uh, a lot of drawbacks elsewhere. But I, I think this is a team that, that potentially could be – now this is, is tough to do, but could be one of those teams where it's like, okay, you mix and match and you put guys in situations where, where you're, you're playing them in situations where they can succeed because at a lot of other positions they have multiple guys to play there. And I will say, and for the record, I want to be clear, I do agree with you that there is more depth this year. You mentioned Jake Cronenworth. That's actually a great pickup because the Potters have not had a legitimate backup shortstop so pretty much since A.J. Preller came in in 2015, they've been forced to throw a bunch of guys out there who shouldn't be playing. We all remember watching Jed Jerko play shortstop and Hervis Solarte play shortstop. It was ugly. So they've definitely done some better things to kind of strengthen the edges of the roster and make sure they don't have these huge holes. And you're right, look, Tommy Pham should be an upgrade. Trent Grisham, the left-handed bat, you know, we'll see if he can carry over his improvements last year. And the pitching staff should be stronger, too. You're going to get a full season of Denelson Lamette, year two of Chris Paddock. I talked about Davies being a huge upgrade over Eric Lauer. It's actually been kind of laughable to me seeing some places try and argue that Lauer is better when it's not close. Garrett Richards, we'll see how much he can give them. You can never bank on him staying healthy for a full season, but even if it's 10 to 15 healthy starts. It's helpful. This isn't a team that's going to be going in, throwing Nick Margavishis uh, on the opening weekend of the season. So there's no question there's more depth. This is a better team. And I will say this 2020 team is the team in the best position to win that the Potters have had since 2015 when they tried to build everything up. Obviously, it didn't work out. And you're right. They have the ability to put players in better positions I think it just remains to be seen if they will, because again, the track record of it is not very good. And as you mentioned, they need to really have bounce back seasons from Manny Machado, from Eric Hosmer. I'll actually say, I don't think they have to have a bounce back from Eric Hosmer. It's a terrible contract if they don't. If Machado plays the way he's capable of playing. They need the left-handed bat. If they don't don't have him, if he doesn't perform, they don't have a left-handed hitter who's any threat anywhere in their lineup unless – you feel safe enough throwing Josh Naylor in the corner outfield on you know more than two or three days a week, which is a risky proposition. They need his left-handed bat to be more productive than it's been. You know, I, I, the other thing, the to-be-determined portion of this is this is a team that still at this moment has the potential, uh, whether it's before the season or especially come deadline time, they have the prospect depth to, to do a little bit of whatever needs to be done, don't they? They do, and that's one of the biggest things. We've seen them start to move some of their young players. Again, Luis Sirius, who's not technically a prospect, but moving him in the Trent Grisham deal. We saw them use Xavier Edwards along with Hunter Renfro to go get Tommy Pham. They do, and that's something that is absolutely a good place to be in. It just goes back again. I talked about this. The track record of this front office in trades when they're acquiring players double A and above has not been very good. When they're acquiring players lower levels, it's been excellent. But when they're acquiring guys, double-A, triple-A, major league guys, it's a pretty poor track record. So again, it just goes back to, has this regime, after five straight losing seasons, again, they took over at the end of 2014. They had the full 2015 season, 16, 17, 18, 19. After five straight losing seasons, or have they made the changes to their evaluation structure to have a better hit rate. We're going to find out. You know, as much as we talk about this farm system and how much better it is, the Padres won more games in 2012, 2013, 2014, the front office that got fired, than 
any AJ Preller led team. And that's why you start seeing, you know, Ron Fowler, the owner came out this year and said, heads are going to roll. I should say last year is the end of 2019. If things don't improve now, Peter Seidler, one of the primary owners of the team as well. He is very, very much an AJ Preller guy. He's an AJ Preller's corner. And I think that will keep Preller safe, but they can't afford another 68, 70, 71 win season. They've never finished higher than fourth. They were 36 games out last year. This is a team that has a long way to go. So even if they have that prospect depth, they still have to show they can accurately choose who to trade, who to keep and trade it for the right player. That's something that's been very hit or miss with this regime and needs to get fixed in 2020 if they want to win this year. Again, I I do think I, I, okay, let's go through that. You said like when you, their evaluation on trades beyond. So basically that is, I assume based on, you know, that's based on, again, you could throw free agency if you wanted with Hosmer, but that's based on Margot and, uh, Mejia and Turner and who, who else am I missing? Those are well, one of the other ones we're going to have to see that turns out last year was trading Fran Reyes and Logan Allen for Taylor Trammell. On the one hand, you're trading a, a power hitting everyday right fielder who has his defensive limitations. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, a promising left-handed starter for a double a player who people aren't sure is going to hit two big leaguers for one prospect doesn't really seem like the type of trade they should be making, especially when, you know, Preller came out around the All-Star break when the team had a 500 record and said, we expect to compete for a wild card. Then going and trading two big leaguers for one minor leaguer runs directly counter to that. Yeah, but he also would have been crazy to have been competing because they weren't in contention for a wild card. But it goes back to two big leaguers for one minor leaguer who is struggling and there's a lot of mixed reviews on. Is that the type of trade they should be making? The answer is probably not. And on the other side of that, you look at the Starling Marte trade. And again, maybe the Pirates valued the over Piguro as, you know, had a six on him and thought he's a future all-star. Every team values prospects differently. But that's a trade the Padres needed to make, should have made, and could easily have made with their prospect depth. And they didn't. And in talking to a couple of people, they mentioned, you know, this is going to be one of the challenges. AJ loves his guys, guys that he signed, he drafted, he developed. Is he and, and his staff going to be comfortable trading some of these guys? Um, we've seen them do it a little bit, trading Xavier Edwards, but um, that's a trade the Padres could have made, needed to make, should have made, and the fact they didn't match that, and now their division rival has Starling Marte, it's kind of flummoxing. Uh, well, again, it, we are, I, I, we're, we're looking at the same cup of water. We're, you know, we're seeing it different ways. Like Now, again, we do not know what's going to happen, but – we also have seen rumblings that maybe they're involved in Mookie Betts. Now, we have no idea if they're actually going to acquire Mookie Betts. We obviously know also that if there is among teams out there that are in contention for Mookie Betts, the Dodgers are there also. Like Those are two teams that have absolutely the ammunition to acquire Mookie Betts. I will say right now, if this Padres team acquired Mookie Betts and no matter almost who they had to trade in the – you know, again, Mackenzie Gore would be a, a, a very painful piece to include. But Mookie Betts makes this team – if you have Mookie Betts and Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado, you do win in part with stars, and they have depth, as we talked about also. That would be a pretty ferocious lineup. They would, and that's one of the reasons why if they're determined that, hey, 2020, we have to win this year – 
it's potentially okay to overpay. And again, there's going to be whether or not Will Myers contract is attached to that. There's so many different variables that are going to affect what the prospect return looks like or the young major leaguer return looks like. So it's hard to state definitively they should do X, Y, and Z because the money's a big part of it. Obviously, they'd love to unload Will Myers contract. We'll see if that's something that's actually feasible. But I do think, again, this Padres team, there's a lot of talent. There is a much, much deeper group to work with, particularly infield depth, starting pitching depth than they've had in years. I do think this Padres team should have the most wins of the A.J. Preller era. Now, does that mean it's 77 wins, 83 wins, or 90 wins? That's going to depend on what else they do the rest of this offseason. Because I think as it's currently situated right now, as of this podcast recording, it's hard to project a 20 to 25 win bump, which is what they would need to get into playoff contention. Uh, the uh, the over-under you know, in Vegas, for whatever that's worth, seems to hover around 83. I, I take it you would go under on 83. I think it's probably around there, but I would lean more under than over. And I would lean more over than under. I, I do see this as one of the teams that, again, especially with, I expect, as some of the start parts that you just covered, because of the need for this team to win, because of the depth that really, and that's what we'll start to get into now, the depth that really does allow them, the thing that stands out about some of these trades that we've seen, it, they can make major trades. They can trade away in-demand, top 100 quality caliber prospects and do so and still have a, a, a very deep and useful farm system. And that's something, there are other teams who can do that, but there aren't a lot. I mean, there are a lot of teams who have to make that decision at, you know, whether, okay, do you basically trade away all of your best prospects or most of your best prospects and make a big move or do you hold on to them? I do view this Padres team as a team that can say, we can trade away elite prospects and still feel good about what this is going to look like as far as the guys who are coming up in 2021, 22, 23, and 24. And, you know, so like to kind of dive into the prospect side of it, where do you think, I, I do think it's also thinner than it was, a little thinner than it was, uh, you know, a year or two ago. Obviously, they've graduated some potentially franchise caliber, a franchise caliber player in Fernando Tatis Jr. But where do you think kind of the state of the farm system is heading into 2020? It's still an excellent farm system. It's still one of the best in baseball. You have elite pitching prospects. You have some really high upside position players. You have guys that will open the year in AAA who have a chance to be impact players, guys who are going to be in rookie ball with a chance to be impact players. Again, you know, as you mentioned, the depth's a little thinner, but that's for the right reasons. They graduated six of their top 10 prospects last year. You know, I remember when they moved down to uh, number two in our organization talent rankings at midseason last year, a couple people were like mad about it. I'm like, they moved down because they graduated Fernando Tatis and Chris Paddock. And also Francisco Mejia had a really, really good second half last year once he started playing every day. Naylor, Urias, Quantrill graduates. Like, okay, would you rather be the number one farm system and have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Chris Paddock still in the minors or be the number two farm system and have those guys in the majors? The correct answer to that question is the latter. You'd rather be number two and have those guys in the majors where it counts. So this is still a great system. There's a lot of talent on the way. They have depth to trade from. And again, A.J. Preller and his staff have done a very, very good job bulking this thing up. I think the flip side you could say to that is after making a bunch of veteran for prospect trades, picking in the top 10 five straight years, and spending a record amount internationally, 
you should have a really good farm system. But even with that, they've done a good job hitting on their picks. They found some good players in the late rounds or lower dollar guys in the international market. This was, again, a challenging system in some ways to rank just because there's so many good options and a lot of guys who could very reasonably pop. You know, I'm proud I had highlighted Luis Patino as a sleeper two years ago before he got big. And there's a lot of guys who are in the lower levels now. You can say, yeah, I could see them a year or two from now being kind of a big guy. Mackenzie Gore is the top guy on the list. That's no surprise probably to anyone listening to this. Mackenzie Gore, I, I guess the question I would ask you with, with Gore is, is, is he a guy, do you think, who, uh, who is going to help the Padres big league club in, in 2020? The answer is yes, the degree to which a lot of it's going to depend on what he looks like coming back in spring training. You know, you think about Chris Paddock, he was really good in 90-93, touching 95, curveball was getting a little better. Then he came back in spring training sitting 94-96 and snapping off the occasional 55-grade curveball. So if Mackenzie Gore takes a similar step this offseason and comes into camp and everything's a little firmer, the breaking pitcher's a little more consistent, yeah, then maybe he's an option. I don't know about opening day, but very early on in the season. If he comes into camp and there's just still some little things to work on and all the starting pitchers stay healthy and there's no need to rush him, then maybe he doesn't come up till July or August. But I do think he will be in the majors at some point this year. It's just, again, none of this is in a vacuum. It depends what happens around him, who else stays healthy in the rotation and what the needs are of the major league club. So um, he's very, very polished for his age. He's 20 years old great athlete. You see him continue to improve. He was blister free this year and he posted a 1.02 ERA in the Cal League, which is kind of insane. Now it's just about firming up, getting all four pitches working at the same time, holding runners a little bit better. You know, the book on him in the Cal League a little bit was if you could get on base against him, which very few people were able to, but the ones who did, if you ran on him, you could get him out of sorts a little bit and you'd see that from time to time. It's just Little things like that to shore up. But if those are your biggest problems as a 20-year-old pitching prospect, you're in great shape. And he has the aptitude, the smarts, the competitive fire to fix all those things and fix them quickly. I do expect him in San Diego at some point this year. Next guy I want to kind of ask you about is, is, is one of the, the climbers in the top 10 for the Padres this year, uh, Luis Camposano, who – you mentioned Mejia, you mentioned Hedges. It is not like the, uh, the Padres don't have uh, a young group of, of catchers at the big league level. But, but Campusano is probably, uh, if I'm highlighting the guys who had the best seasons in the minors in 2019, he, his is one of the ones that does stand out. You know, Cal League batting champ, uh, there really just was not a whole lot, especially at the plate, to really argue about his season in, uh, in, in 2019. But what what do you kind of think uh, in the long run? What do you think uh, – what led to him kind of taking that big step forward? And and what do you think is the, the kind of the future for him in the long run? Yeah, so you had a couple of factors. The first is he stayed healthy. Last year, the concussion wiped out most of the second half of the season. I watched it say last year, 2018, excuse me. 2019, he stayed healthy. That was a big component of it. Also, catchers we see sometimes, it just takes a little bit adjusting to the pro game. It takes a year or two. He got stronger. They tweaked his launch angle a little bit. He was hitting the ball really, really hard. It was just on the ground a lot at Fort Wayne. They got him to elevate a little more, and you just started seeing some scorched line drives. You'll remember I came back from my first run through the Cal League last April. I went out to see Elsinore for their opening series, and that's you know, a team that had Tiers Ornelas and Jason Rosario and Gabriel Arias and Esther Ruiz. And I'm watching. I'm like... Camposano is the best guy on this team, and it's not close. There's a clear tier here between him and everyone else. 
you watch through May, he's keeping it up. I went back in June. It's like Luis Camposano is still the best player on the field, and it's not close. And this is a really, really incredibly strong young man. He would take 40-ounce trainer bats and take them in a game sometimes, and he'd still be getting the barrel through the zone and smoking line drives, swinging a 40-ounce bat. It was insane. Really good strike zone control, pitch recognition. It's just he crushes baseballs. It's a lot of hard line drives. We started seeing some of them carry over the fence. And defensively, there's a lot to like there. He's really, really strong, but also agile, which you like to see. Sometimes he kind of throws from his knees when he doesn't have to, and it leads to unnecessary errors. But this can be an everyday catcher with an impact bat, which is obviously a huge ceiling. To be honest, I don't think Austin Hedges is his future competition. I mean, let's just call Hedges what he is. Objectively, he's one of the worst hitters in Major League Baseball history to receive as many at-bats as he has. And frankly, no level of defense excuses his level of offensive performance. It's going to be about Francisco Mejia and what Mejia does behind the plate. You know, Mejia from July 1st to the end of the season last year, hit 295, 340, 477. The catching got better. It still has room to improve. But I mean, an 816 OPS as a switch hitting catch would make him one of the best offensive catchers in baseball. So it'll be interesting to see if Camposano, whether the Padres use him as a trade piece, if they fully trust Mejia and his defense to leap forward. But either way, I think Luis Camposano has a very, very bright major league future ahead as an above average everyday catcher, if not better. Whether that's with the Padres or another organization, we're going to have to see depending on the Padres' needs and, and the timing of everything. So looking beyond, because this is a system that does go far beyond the, the top 10. Um, who's the guy beyond the top 10 who, who really you're very interested to see kind of what you're, you're going to see from them in, in 2020? Because again, as you said, there's some, there, there were the Patino was there two years ago and now here he is. He's the number two prospect in the system. Who are, who's somebody that you think could, could take a big step forward in 2020? Yeah, so this is someone who's in the 30. Um, you know, Hudson Head drew a lot of positive reviews in Fall Instructional League last year. He was their third-round pick, really one of the biggest pop-up prospects in the draft. And talking to some people in the Padres player development staff, they said they thought that he has a case to be top 10 already. They think that this is a tremendous athlete with rapidly improving baseball skill. He was a high school quarterback, split his duties a little bit, but he's rapidly figuring everything out as he focuses solely on baseball. Again, rookie ball guy. There's a lot of growth ahead. There's a lot of time ahead, but he showed a lot of promising things. I think he's someone that you can see leap from outside the top 10 into the top 10 this time next year. Bounce back candidates, Tirso Ornelas and Jason Rosario. Ornelas really improved once he came back out. They sent him down to Arizona to rebuild his swing. Last summer, he came back to Lake Elsinore at the end of the year and was really impressive. He's someone that I think could really, really pop if that swing change holds and he kind of becomes the guy people thought he was going to be last year. And outside of it, there's a, a shortstop in the AZL named Jason Santana who, without a whole lot of fanfare, hit 346 and played really, really good defense in the middle infield. That's definitely someone that you should keep an eye on. You know, middle infielder who can hit, just turned 19. He's probably going to go out to a short season next year, might see Fort Wayne potentially. We've seen the Padres be very aggressive moving their young guys. And then Junior Perez was a power hitting right fielder who was out in the Arizona League as well. He's another guy that you can look at. So there's a lot of options here. Omar Cruz, a lefty. Jesus Gonzalez, a lefty. There's a lot of talent in the AZL. And with that, there's also a lot of talent in the upper minors. So the Padres are in a good place with having guys who can really pop. And 
some guys that are going to be able to help them in the next year or two, whether that's in trade or in San Diego. It's again, it's a very interesting system. It's a very interesting team going into 2020. I don't think there's any question about that. We'll have our, uh, we, we may, you know, we'll revisit this a year from now and see who, uh, who was right on the uh, over under on 83. We'll, we'll try to put a bookmark in that and see, uh, see which of us is, uh, is right when we have the, uh, the knowledge of another season. I reserve the right to change that if after this podcast, the Padres acquire Mookie Betts or make some other trades. As Fair of- enough. I'm, I'm, I am factoring that in. I expect them to make moves. I'm factoring in that into my over because you can, you know, you could place your bet now. You have that opportunity. Um, but if you did enjoy this podcast, I would kind of kindly uh, recommend that you go to baseballamerica.com slash shop dash now, and you can purchase your 2020 prospect handbook. And if you purchase it from us, we can ship it out and you will be getting it sooner than anyone else. Because if you order it from us, we're shipping them. And if you order it anywhere else, you'll be waiting several more weeks. So if you cannot wait to get your prospect handbook and you have not ordered it already, head to baseballamerica.com, go to store, which is takes you to shop dash now, and you can fix that right now. We also do want to just tell you that, you know, it's also a great time to subscribe to uh, the Baseball America online or the print mag. It's been a great and crazy month for us. You know, we have the top hundred prospects is up. We have posted a top hundred first year players for fantasy purposes. You know, if you want, if you're in a dynasty league where you need to know the players who are first eligible because now they're pros, we have a ranking of that with write-ups on that for you. If you want to dive into the draft, we updated our draft with the top 200 draft prospects with write-ups today. So check out the top 200 draft prospects. We also recently posted the top 100 international prospects from the 2019-2020 signing class. That is truly information that you cannot find anywhere else. Ben Badler does that better than anybody. He spent a whole lot of time in the Dominican. He was at Tricky League. I want to go to Tricky League with Ben one day. But he was there to gather information on sleepers and low-cost signees who have already blossomed and all that. Check it out. Scouting reports. The top 100 J2 signees for this current signing class. There's a lot there at BaseballAmerica.com. That doesn't even count the college preview. We are almost done with our conference previews. We have the college preseason All-Americans and the high school preseason All-Americans as selected by MLB scouting directors. Keep you busy all weekend. And I could keep going. I'm going to stop there. I won't mention my antitrust story from yesterday or other things. There's a lot. And by the way, the top 10s for all 30 teams, you can just keep going. But for that, you can check out baseballamerica.com and subscribe today. For Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.